On this episode of The Trillist, we have... One of her uncles like, was making fun of her and asking if her baby was going to be like dark or light or black or white. I just happen to be geared towards, I guess, interest that society titles as white. And I just noticed that there wasn't a lot of representation for my Native American side. When I had come to college, I feel like that I've definitely been more aligned with my Asian side. You're the first like Latinx, you're the first Latina, you're the first Hispanic. As a woman who is mixed with Black, I feel like that a lot of the sexualization of people who are mixed with Black is rooted in anti-Blackness. For more chill content, follow the Trillis Instagram at T H E T R I L L E S T underscore podcast. And check out Sia's Insta at L I N D A L E B B I E. And if you like this video, and I know you do, just admit it, please rate our podcast it will help us with reaching more people and also share it with your friends your family your loved ones just share it hello everyone welcome to this episode of the trillist on today's episode i have four young adults who are all college students of mixed ethnic background so before we begin, could each of you say hello and also state what you're studying and what you're interested in pursuing post-grad? I'll start. Hi, my name is Beatrice. I am a junior studying communications and political science with a minor in journalism. And I'm looking to become a journalist post-grad covering the nexus of business, internet culture, and marginalized communities. Hello, I am Jared Dempsey. I am a junior studying sociology, and I'm not quite sure what I'd like to do when I graduate, still feeling it out a bit, but I'm definitely enjoying the material that I'm studying and enjoying my experience. My name is Ime, and I am a senior in nursing, and after graduation, I'm looking to become a pediatric nurse in a critical care unit. Hey guys, I'm AJ, studying philosophy, and the plan right now is to go to grad school for clinical psychology, so I'll, I'll see where that goes. Well, thank you each for coming on. I have one question. Would you say, in whatever fields, again, you represent a variety of industries, that you need to be knowledgeable about what is going on in the world today? I mean, that's specifically very, very applicable for me especially going into the field of journalism, your job is to have kind of like a jack of all trades, kind of like general knowledge 
of everything that you then go deeper into as you write. So I'm always like on my phone or reading the news or reading newsletters like during class when I'm not supposed to, that's whatever. But I'm always consuming news and media. Yeah, I can relate to that a lot. Just being in the sociology department, we spend so much time studying social trends. So keeping up with things that are going on domestically and internationally, it's super important and it helps us to understand a lot of things. So from a lot of different standpoints, it's really important for what I study. It is incredibly important for what I study, especially given the context of COVID-19 um, and especially following policies that involve healthcare. Yeah, I'd say it's the same for me, uh, maybe for different reasons, but you know, clinical psychology is about uh, well-being and suffering and those things are intimately related to, you know, societal circumstances and economic factors and all kinds of things that affect individuals. I agree with each of you that it is extremely important to be up to date on what's going on in the world. With what you mentioned, Ime, with COVID-19 and you going into pediatric nursing, I think it's super important to know what's happening in the health world and uh, financial industries and business and journalism. So lucky for you all and our wonderful listeners, The Trillis is sponsored by The Economist, a wonderful, reputable news media organization. They currently have a campaign focusing on updating their subscribers with information regarding the COVID-19 pandemic and how it impacts several sectors of life. So our lovely listeners, you could also share this code with your loved ones, family, and friends, can get a 12-week subscription for just $19, a 12-week digital subscription. Or if you are not a student, you can get a 12-week digital subscription at a lovely price of $25. Ladies and gents, that is such an affordable way to take in accurate news Yes, you can get your news from Twitter, but it's great to have a source that fact checks and gives you everything that you need to know. So make sure you check out the link in our bio. So let's begin with this episode. Could each of you please let us know what you are mixed with? And I would like to know how your parents met and, and so on. I guess I'll go first. So I'm half Puerto Rican and half white, and my dad's of Russian and Jewish descent. And my parents are from the Bronx. And whenever I tell people about this combination, they're always like, oh, like, that's so weird. That's so quirky. Like, how did you meet? Like, how would your parents meet? This is commonplace where they grew up. So I've always been like, that's kind of a weird question. But my parents have a really cute, like, meeting story they went to high school together for a long time and my dad allegedly always had a big crush on my mom but my mom was not it about my dad she thought she he, she thought he was ugly she thought he was just like you know not her type for a long time but my dad was actually really really persistent so on valentine's day 1989 my mom got home from breaking up with her boyfriend and was waiting for the bus to get back to her apartment and the bus never came and my dad drove by and was like get in i'll drive you home and my mom was like 
no, 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 it's fine. But the bus never came. And then she gets into my dad's car and the heat won't work and it won't start. His car is a total beater, but she's made her choice and she doesn't get out. And then my dad drives her home and then she goes upstairs and is like, well, that was annoying. Then my dad keeps buzzing on the intercom and my grandma, who is the most blunt woman in the world, is like, look, Rob, Anessa doesn't want to talk to you. Like, please stop fucking calling. But he keeps calling. And then finally, my mom goes downstairs and they get McDonald's milkshakes together. And that is, you know, it's been history ever since. That is so cute. I can't. (laughs) Yeah, that's a hard story to follow. That's like super cute. I can start with my story. So on my dad's side, my dad is black. I'm not super sure where we're thinking West African, if 23andMe is accurate at all. And then on my mother's side, she's Native American and white. So yeah, my my parents both met each other through NA meetings. So they both uh, went to Narcotics Anonymous, like one of those meetings where people say like, hi, I'm Fred. And they're like, hi, Fred. It's one of those instances. And they met each other there, actually, both of them kind of recovering from like difficult early adult years and yeah, just finding each other through that process. So it's really awesome for them. Oh, that's so sweet. So my mom is Vietnamese and my dad is Nigerian. And they met at Howard University when they went to pharmacy school together. And I'm not really sure the specifics of how they met. I just know that uh, my dad uh, was falling asleep in lectures and my mom would just take notes for him a lot. Aw, <laughs> shout out to your mom. She's a real one. My dad's of Italian descent and my mom's Indian, but they've both... You know, my dad was born here. My mom came when she was five. So the you know, predominant culture for both is American. And they met in college in the U.S. Apparently the first time they saw each other, they both played sports in college. And my dad, uh, like, I think he cut his head open somehow with like a track equipment. And my mom saw him and he looked like this bloody mess. And she like went over to help him. And I think that left a good impression. They, you know, followed up with each other. And yeah. Aw, your mom's really sweet. Well, thank you for each sharing those cute and sweet how your parents met moments. Did you ever hear that your parents were worried about bringing in children of mixed ethnic backgrounds? No, that was actually not one of my parents' concerns. I think it was because it was so commonplace where they grew up and, like, they had a lot of friends, like, Puerto Rican Jewish babies or friends who, like, were of mixed race. So I don't think that was the chief concern. I think it was more of a socioeconomic one, you know, growing up in the Bronx, a neighborhood that she grew up in Co-op City, which increasingly became more minority heavy and more low income over time. Do with that association what you will. Obviously, their whole thought was, where can I give my child the best education? And that meant moving to Westchester and moving to a majority white school district with good opportunities that was also very upper middle class and to this day now that I'm in college my mom often wonders like would I have ended up in the same place without moving to that district without making that purposive choice to grow up surrounded by so much of my other identity and you know I don't like to like pontificate or think about like what ifs because I'm here anyway but I do think because my mom was a resilient and far better educator than a lot of my other a lot of my teachers like I would have ended up in the same place so I think it was less about bringing me into the world and more about 
concerns about the contexts in which I would grow up, if that makes sense. Yeah, it really, it really does. And I like how you speak to how in a lot of, and I don't want to say all of the Bronx is inner city because it's not, but when you grow up in a really diverse area with a really diverse low socioeconomic area, the taxes that go to schools aren't as much and that education isn't necessarily what you'll get in a suburb that has middle to upper class people. So uh, it's crazy that they had to think about that, but it's also valid in the America that we live in. I think part of what like informed your decision was my mom practically raised my cousin in a lot of ways. My cousin ended up going to Yale and Harvard and Penn and is super degreed up. But to get those resources, it was so like, you know, college prep, going to a good school, going to like a private school was so much more work. And it was such a heavy lift. And once you've gone through that once and see how much the odds are stacked against you as a person of color, you want to do everything possible to not have that happen, I think, in the future. So I think that is what definitely informed their decision for the most part. Yeah, I can say for me, with my parents bringing me into the world, one thing that they had to think about is where I would live and just how that would affect the way that I grew up. So my dad and his side of the family, they grew up in like the Baltimore area. And my mother is from very like out in the country in the mountains, rural West Virginia. So um, very different areas demographically, very different amounts of diversity, if you will. I remember my mother, even to this day, will tell me about how she was reluctant to bring me to West Virginia to live with her um, just due to the fact that there was a lot of prejudice out there. I guess a lot of like redneck culture, if you will. That's kind of like what my mother grew up in amidst her Native American roots. So it, it was more of a question of how and where they would they would kind of bring me to live, kind of like Beatrice was saying. It was almost like a socioeconomic thing as well. What situation would be best for me as far as being able to make it farther than both of my parents did? I think both of them realized that they wanted to provide for their children a better lifestyle or a better way of life than they got for themselves. So I think location was a big question as far as bringing me into the world and figuring out how I would be able to maneuver through it. Where did they decide to raise you? Well, I guess I don't want to be facetious. My my parents were never like in a super like lovey-dovey relationship. So I didn't really live with both of them and they didn't both raise me at the same time. So I was a little back and forth. But for the most part, I lived with my mother for the earlier years of childhood, like in, in like the suburbs of Philadelphia. And then I moved in with my dad, um, very close to that area, still in the suburbs. In both of those situations, it was pretty diverse. Didn't really stand out as much ethnically or anything, but it wasn't really like super cohesive as far as them like raising me and choosing where I'd be raised at. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, I agree with both Jared and Beatrice where location really did influence the way that my parents raised me and the way that they wanted me to get education. As for them, like worrying about bringing a mixed child into the world, I think I actually was talking to my mom about this a little bit ago. But she said it wasn't something that she really thought about uh, before she had me um, or my older sister. And it wasn't until that she had us where she started hearing comments from other people when they would look at us and be like, oh, your your children are so pretty, but why are they so dark? Where she was kind of like, oh, crap, like uh, my kids might have to endure some things (laughs) while they're growing up. Where did those comments come from? And do you think it relates to colorism? And do you still feel this today? 
I would say that I think it, it came from just like strangers. And, and I do think that to some degree that colorism does come into play. I haven't heard comments directly from my family members, but I sometimes worry that if I were to meet some of my distant relatives, that they would see me and not think uh, that I'm pretty within their standards just because I am darker skinned than what the beauty standards over there would be considered as beautiful. Thank you for answering the question. And I think you're beautiful. Oh, thank you. For me, uh, I guess they kind of kept this insecurity to a minimum. Like they, I think they assumed that you know, their work would take them to locations that where they wouldn't have to worry about pre- prejudice as much. But there was, you know, significant resistance from within their own family, like my mom's parents, my grandparents, like right off the bat was saying like, this isn't going to work, like you should stop, you know, before you get, you know, really involved in this. And that's something that they, they had to deal with for the first few years. Apparently at my baby shower, like once my mom was pregnant with me, one of her uncles like was making fun of her and asking if her baby was going to be like dark or light or black or white. And that really put her off. But I don't think they took any of it too much to heart. Like they knew that they wanted to end up together. So they kind of just had to suck it up for a long time. I'm glad they ignore the comment. And yeah, some of the people that are closest to us can be harsh. So I'm sorry that your mom had to hear that comment while pregnant and and so on. But your parents are still together today, uh, I believe. You can correct me if I'm wrong. So those who were against their commitment, are they regretful for what they said? I don't, I don't know if I'd say regretful. Like, they probably honestly like don't have the balls to apologize for things like that. And you know, maybe they're too arrogant at the same time, but they, they all like my dad now. You know, they uh, they see him as like, you know, another another son, another person in the family. My grandpa was like, you know, the most resistant at first. And now my dad's like his favorite person, which is kind of funny. I'm glad that the relationship is better now. So thank you all for sharing. Growing up, did you feel more aligned with one aspect of your identity? This is ethnically, by the way, uh, than over the other aspect or did you feel pretty balanced? I'm going to preface this by saying like both of my parents came from rather dysfunctional families. So this wasn't a product of like one side being around more than the other. But my mom's big ethos as a parent was like intellectual curiosity. So when I was like four or five and I had a question about anything, she'd answer honestly. So I knew about the birds and the bees when I was like six or seven. But that also meant like I got to kind of pick my own interests and she never really lived vicariously through me, which you coincidentally hear with like a lot of stage moms. I was super into ballet and I really loved like going to museums and art and I loved Taylor Swift and I really liked reading and fashion and when I got older I liked food blogging which at the time was like a very white field so I just happened to be geared towards I guess interests that society titles as white so I guess I maybe grew up more in touch with that identity by happenstance but on the same token my mom was also very conscientious of like 
you know, my interests may be pushing me to one side and the other. So like, for example, when I was younger and I thought I wanted to be a professional ballerina, I um, took classes at Dance Theater of Harlem and Alvin Ailey, which are majority Black and Hispanic companies. Like she made sure that like, you know, even though I like maybe was often the odd one out in a lot of the context of my interest, I always had places where I could like feel comfortable in them. So it's kind of like a like a 50-50 split. I hate to be like I like white things, but I don't feel particularly white. Whereas I maybe am not super steeped in like Latin or Hispanic or Puerto Rican cultures, but I feel a whole lot more Puerto Rican, I guess, if that's like the way to answer the question. I like how you pointed out that what society labels as white things, and I'm sure the others can speak to maybe feeling this way, that you feel that you're just you, but society wants to force you into a box. I feel like because I'm a communication major along with B, I took intro to pop culture and we learned about how society loves binaries and they love to place people in a category and place things in a category and they feel uncomfortable with something that can't be placed into one category. So, uh, The rest can also answer my previous question, but maybe speak to feeling this way as well. If that is your experience. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because that's pretty much how I planned on answering the question in terms of the binary that I was almost forced to choose between. So growing up, I I would say that I maybe had more of a like black experience, if you will. Um, I grew up in a small inner city surrounded by a lot of like black family members, more so family of my stepmother, um, who was black and just being around them, like going to functions and holidays and, and all that stuff with, uh, with their family. I think I just grew up with a certain, um, I don't know, just a certain way in which, uh, black folk do things, you know, but I never really thought about it in terms of me having to choose which side I would align with more or be more affiliated with. But I, I remember this to this day, one of my cousins had asked me, just kind of bluntly as a joke, like, so do you think that you're white or are you black? And I remember not really knowing how to answer the question. And she thought it was funny. And she was like laughing at me. And she was like, well, like, what are you like, you have to like choose. And I didn't notice it at that moment in time. But looking back on it, it's uh, very interesting how so many people in society do have that opinion or that, that standpoint that you have to like fall into one of those like neat boxes and that like you were saying, um, there's not like a whole lot of freedom to, I don't know, to like transcend those, those very basic ideas of how we define people. So in that moment, I guess I was like, well, I guess she wants me to say black. So I'm just going to like go with that. I wouldn't say that I was sold on the idea of like, oh, I'm just black now because that's what my cousin made me choose. But I would be lying if I said like it didn't affect how I thought about myself moving forward. And it definitely like made me rethink how other people look at me and what boxes they decide to put me in. Was that cousin on your black side or your white side? And if she was on your black side, do you think the one drop rule, and for those listening who don't know about the one drop rule, because of slavery and chattel slavery in America, if the mother was black, the child would be identified as black and uh, thus continued to be slaves. So it was a way to make sure that when slave masters raped their female slaves those products of the rape can still be their property uh and 
for this reason, that's why the black community, when you look at it, it's so diverse and skin shade and range and so on. And it's because a lot of people might have white ancestry, but even if they have a lot of white ancestry, they're still black. Yeah, that's a good point. So my cousin was on uh, my my stepmother's black side of the family, um, but she was also uh, mixed race as well. We are probably very similar in complexion. But I think like that one drop rule does kind of play a part. I think if you look at American society, that's how we define people. Usually, if someone has like any ounce or any shade of any other color other than white, they're immediately associated with whatever that other is. So it's like that that idea of othering people and making people, I don't know, like less pure than like the white standard, if you will. So like the like you were saying with the one drop rule, the paper bag test that they had where you couldn't enter establishments if you're complexion was lighter than the bag that they nailed to the door so yeah i i think that really like prevails and showing its its ugly face in our society even to this day and how people look at who is what and how we can define different individuals so i have no doubt that my cousin also subscribed to that whether it was like unconscious or not i'd say for me growing up it honestly depended on like who i was hanging around when I was in elementary school up until fifth grade, I had attended a predominantly black school. And then from fifth grade up until my senior year, I went to a private school that was predominantly white. So throughout like my whole time from like elementary school to high school, I had pretty much a friend group that had always been predominantly West African or black. So in that sense, I definitely felt more aligned with that set of my identity based on the people that I hung around. But at least within my household, I never felt like I had to choose, uh, which was great, just because the way that my parents had introduced me to my different parts of my culture has always been through food. So I feel like I always had a nice balance to have both. For me, uh, you know, like I was saying, my parents are heavily Americanized. So like, you know, my own house, there wasn't that much exposure to like heritage and like our original cultures. But Weirdly, like depending on, you know, at certain times in my life, like things I was going through psychologically, it sometimes led to like identifying with one side or another and trying to connect with my roots in a sense. So like in high school, I had some major like confidence issues and, you know, what I know now, like some extreme OCD symptoms. So that was a struggle. And I was really into movies and I I started watching these like Italian American like gangster films. And that felt kind of empowering at a time when I felt really vulnerable. So I tried identifying more with my Italian side and then uh, not as like strongly, but still in a similar way when I came to college, you know, I was kind of insecure about like intelligence and kind of direction in life. And I, I met some Indian kids who, you know, seemed really smart and like sure of themselves. And, and, you know, that's not like something to, uh, generalized, but I kind of just like naturally like started gravitating towards identifying with that side more at that age. So, yeah. Thank you for bringing that up, AJ, because my next question was following that up throughout life, if you did feel more connected to one side over the other, has that changed now that you've gotten to college and there's a plethora of diversity groups and clubs on campus? 
I have to say going to Penn was like, or transitioning to college was, I think, particularly difficult with me and my racial identity. In high school, in middle school, all of my friends would always be like, oh, Beatrice, like you're so much whiter than me because of the things I liked. You know, my favorite show was Girls. I loved Taylor Swift. I still do. I did ballet for like 16 years. It was all of these things that create the palette of, I guess, a white girl in terms of, I guess, media's eye. But I never felt that way. And I never thought you could like create a person's like racial identity off of the things they liked. And then as I, you know, in high school got more comfortable talking about politics and maybe got more radicalized and talking about issues of race in my school district, which was known for anti-Semitic hate crimes and kids saying the N-word in the hall when we were mostly white. I lost a lot of friends because of it. And I got to college and I was like, I'm so excited to like, you know, like, you know, really experience my Puerto Rican identity, like the way, like, I guess I always dreamed of. And then I would go to La Casa Latina or I would go like to like the Spanish student union. And I like went to an association, Bori Kenya meeting. And I was like, these people like like what the fuck like these people are not like me as all and I don't feel particularly welcome you know my mom did the best she could but when she was growing up my grandparents were like I don't say fresh off the boat but newly immigrated and wanted so badly to assimilate my mom learned Spanish in high school like everyone else and until I was like probably in my mid-teens like my grandma was very very Americanized and very steeped in white culture so like she didn't really grow up super in touch with her identity outside of food and food's very important in my family and that's how I learned about things so I like you know I eat the same foods as these people like I have a pride for Puerto Rico like these people but it's just not resonating and I saw nobody like kind of crossing over to welcome me or like understanding like my experience as a mixed person but on the same token in quote-unquote white pen or the white side of my university I didn't feel I guess particularly welcome either I maybe felt more comfortable because it felt like high school so when people would say certain things it was like water off a duck's back but I didn't necessarily liked it. I think it just felt safer because that was what I had experienced. And I kind of like floated around between groups at Penn. I guess the answer is, if anything, I feel most evenly split now. But like when I first came to Penn my freshman year, I was all over the place in like a perpetual like existential crisis about like where I fit in. And I, I know I've made friends and, you know, like things are better, but I would say freshman year was really, really hard. For me, growing up and just like having a primarily, I guess, like black experience and like or focusing on my like black side and the things that I'd learned culturally from that side of my family. I noticed as I got to college how much I had neglected the Native American side on my mother's side of the family. And yeah, it's just really interesting to to look back and see how the things that are represented uh, around you, I guess, environmentally just seemed to be easier to pull out. And I just noticed that there wasn't a lot of representation for my Native American side in, in any like aspect of my environment, not in school or in friend groups outside of school. I mean, even in reaching out to family, I remember talking to my mom and just seeing if she had any information for me. I'm like, oh, like, what's our like, what's our culture? Like, what's our heritage? But kind of like Beatrice, there was just like a very strong desire to assimilate or maybe more so to forget the past for like my Native American side. So many of my uh, 
my older relatives on that side of the family won't even desire to talk about their old culture in a sense because of the trauma that it brings up. A lot of these events in, in American history with uh, just the brutalization of Native Americans, it's it's very fresh for a lot of my like family members. And unfortunately, as some of them begin to, to grow older and to pass, a lot of that information goes with them. So I don't know if I've necessarily moved more in one direction or the other as far as how I affiliate or what I align with, but I've noticed the the lack of alignment with my Native American side and have kind of felt burdened to seek that out. But it gets harder, I think, as you get older, because a lot of those resources, like older family members, do start to be depleted. And I don't mean that as if family are a resource, like they're awesome people. But some of these people I've like never met, I've never had a conversation with, I've never had the chance to like learn from. So in that standpoint, I, I think it's it's something that I'm more interested in now, uh, being like more maybe equally yoked and how I interact with the different parts of my like heritage, but it's definitely becoming increasingly difficult to do so. Beatrice spoke about La Casa and so on. Have you, When you got to Penn, did you join Natives at Penn? I have a friend who's really involved with that group, so I just wanted to know if you even knew about it, because some people do not know that that is indeed a club at Penn. So I think I'm on the email listserv, and I signed up for it as a freshman, but I hadn't uh, gotten the chance to go to any events. I think I was kind of in my own head about the idea like, oh, can I like prove to these people that I'm native or are they just going to see me as being like the other person? Like, oh, you don't even like know what tribe you're from. You know what I mean? I think that's a group that's worth giving a shot, you know, and like I might even learn more about like my own culture from from them and from their experiences, but I actually haven't tried it out. Yeah, I definitely relate to the feeling of being in your own head, thinking about, am I enough of this for one group? I'd say in my experience, when I had come to college, I feel like that I've definitely been more aligned with my Asian side, just because when I did come to college, one of the first groups that I really felt like I found a home in was Penn Vietnamese Student Association. And I really hit it off with people there. But there's definitely times before I attended my first event as a freshman, I'm like, oh, is that weird? Like, if I go in there, are people going to look at me being like, oh, why is she here? Like, she's black. But at that point, my freshman year, I was like, I need to make friends. It's getting lonely. So I went and I, they didn't treat me any different than anybody else. And they didn't really care. Like when I had mentioned I was Vietnamese, they were like even more happy. They were like, we're so happy, you know, to have you here. And through VSA, I met amazing people, people that were my roommates up until COVID happened. And I spent my sophomore year on board with them. So yeah, I'd say, uh, as I said before, growing up from like elementary school through high school, I had a predominantly uh, West African black friend group. And then going into college, it just happened so that a lot of my friends are Asian. And I've realized in college that I really had neglected my Asian and Vietnamese heritage, but also just because of the circumstances that I grew up in and the people that I was around. Yeah, I think I can also relate a lot to this um, sort of getting in your own head, like doubting uh, whether you conform enough. I think, you know, going back to like the first part of freshman year when I was identifying with my Indian side a little. I acted on that at times, like I, you know, would go to to South Asian uh, dance events and like performances, and I remember this like particular after party after one of them where they were playing like a lot of Bollywood songs, and some of my friends were there, but like they knew like all this stuff, like they were on the inside, like they knew all the songs coming on, they like knew how to dance to them, and I just kind of felt like an outsider, like I, I didn't have much to contribute to that, and even like a you know a smaller event just going to an Indian restaurant with like a bunch of Indian kids who I knew through one of my friends. 
and like you know they spent a lot of time just like debating over like which plates to order and i just i didn't really know one thing from another thank you for sharing that yeah i noticed with a lot of your answers about feeling culturally connected related to food and i think food is a big way that we get to experience different cultures i'm glad you touched on that aspect of culture and sharing cultural ties to pivot a bit and thank you all for sharing your experience fitting in or not so much fitting into your respective ethnic identities on campus this episode i would like to shout out give a shout out to b was inspired by a conversation that we had together last semester i won't speak a lot about that conversation but i remember we specifically spoke about uh, fetishization and you don't have to be mixed to be fetishized. However, you kind of spoke about how people might call you spicy or so on. And that kind of reminded me of how a lot of times in different communities, mixed children, like, oh, I want mixed babies. They're so cute, blah, blah, blah. Or mixed adults. I want a mixed wife or husband are kind of held to a high standard. So I wanted to know how each of you felt about that and your thoughts and opinions. So like our conversation resonated with me so much and I got so heated afterwards because I was thinking on like how basically in high school since even before I was like dating, kissing boys, flirting, whatever, I was like fetishized and in 10th, I remember this vividly in 10th grade in my honors global history class when I was the only person of color in the room, I believe. My professor suddenly went on, I mean, my teacher rather, went on this tangent talking about how like Hispanic women make like the best mothers and the best wives because their kids are like so hot and their skin is so like smooth and like brown and basically just going off on this whole tangent about how he really wants to like, adopt like 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 a mixed like caribbean or south american or puerto rican baby and the whole class is like mouth agape because i'm there and i'm like 15 i'm like not yet comfortable enough to tell this like teacher like like you know stop like shut the fuck up this is like this, this is embarrassing and frankly disgusting and to this day never apologized like never thought about it again this man just like moved on and I was like so taken aback by like how people just regularly talk about people of mixed race without like considering I guess that like I don't know it's not like you can't just we don't ask for it and I think we do carry a lot of like other burdens not related to our appearance and another thing I really hate is regardless of the race or ethnicity of the guy I'm dating or hooking up with they always say something along the lines of you're the first like latinx you're the first latina you're the first hispanic girl i've ever hooked up with like you're so exotic and it's like kind of hurtful because it almost feels like you're treating me like a checkbox like on like a list of like yes i am gonna have sex with a with the japanese girl today and then tomorrow puerto rican girl and the day after hmm, maybe someone from senegal like i i hate that notion that like um in order for people to feel like they're not dating in one type they like purpose like purposely go around and taste a little bit of everything and it's one thing if that's like not a, like if that's just happens it's another thing that 
actively seek that out because you are putting people in boxes. You are making us, forcing us to lead with our racial identities. And you're not really seeing us as people. You're seeing us as like, as like a part of the globe. And I think that is like, I think the most frustrating experience I've had is just everyone being like, oh, you're the first like Hispanic girl I've hooked up with. Maybe that means I needed to hook up with other people for a really long time. But that was really, really frustrating. I'm sorry you had to go through that. And I, yeah, it's disgusting when I hear like fratty guys. One time my friends and I were coming back from smokes and we overheard this group of guys saying how they hooked up with uh, Asian and I just remember feeling like disgust, disgusted because one of the guys commented how he's hit like all the major racial categories now. And I'm like, uh, like gross. So it gives me like the heebie jeebies. I remember before my freshman year, you know, how you all are my first year at Penn, you all have like the group me's and people like flirt and stuff before and you swap Snapchats. I like innocently swapped like the snapchat with a guy and he was basically like openly said when he gets the pen he wants to and i quote taste a little bit of every flavor and like i was first and i was like oh like gross immediately blocked but i always wonder like how that mentality comes to be and i do think like white men are often the most boisterous with that I think opinion and that way of thinking and it gives me kind of like a colonizer vibe that you want to like conquer all of these different ethnicities and like races and climb that like metaphorical Mount Everest and then you go and settle down with like you know like your like white long-term girlfriend or like your white wife like that's the vibe like that kind of phrase or way of thinking gives me. Yeah, uh, thank you for sharing that, Beatrice. That's like super vulnerable. I can't say I've had like a whole lot of experiences where I've been made super uncomfortable, but I'll speak to maybe why that is. I think growing up physically, a, a lot of my like physical features as like a a multiracial like child like were pointed out pretty often, but it was more so in a way that I guess I didn't feel super like offended by or wasn't seemingly harmful to me at the time. Like I remember my football coaches, they were both like dark skinned males. And they would call me light skin with light eyes. And they were like, yeah, you were the type of kid that would like take our girlfriends back in the day. So we don't like you as like a joke. So I think most of my experience is kind of like that as far as like fetish, like fetishizing like my eyes, like people say like, oh, can I like have your eyes and this, that and the third. So I guess it's more like I've received it more so in the, the idea of compliments. And I recognize my privilege as a man to not really be in certain situations where people will maybe like approach me in certain ways or maybe refer to me in certain ways as maybe as readily. I guess I'm just not as vulnerable to certain types of attacks, if you will, um, as women are in some instances. But I do realize that there are like some instances where people would ask like, oh, can I like touch your hair? And I know that's like a big like no, no for a lot of like, especially black people like, no, you cannot touch my hair. Like this is like not okay for you to do that. But for me, I guess like as a kid, that was something that I was just kind of used to. Like people would just like, would just do it. You know what I mean? Like friends would just be like, oh, like your hair is so soft. And I'd be like, okay, thanks. You know, it's almost like we're like in a petting zoo in it. In some instance, I'm a, a human with dignity. And like, I, I appreciate the fact that you like, you know, like my, my hair texture, like my eye color, or like you think my, my skin is nice and this, that, and the third, but 
it's weird. Like they're like compliments that I wouldn't think about giving to other people. I'll say amen to the don't touch my hair petting zoo analogy. (laughs) I've definitely experienced that as well. But I I have strong feelings on this topic on the sexualization of mixed people, especially um, as a woman who is mixed with black. I feel like that a lot of this sexualization of people who are mixed with black is rooted in anti-blackness just because I've had people tell me like, oh, your skin is so light. You have good hair. You're beautiful just because you have Asian mixed in you. And like, that's not okay. That's racist, (laughs) blatantly. And yeah, and I'll say it blatantly that I really do think that this fetishization is rooted in anti-blackness. Personally, uh, I didn't really know that like fetishization of, uh, of multiracial people was a thing before this. So it's been interesting to hear all of you. I guess I was just, you know, uh, Beatrice's story was provoking some thoughts about whether this is like an issue of of like hookup culture generally, like inherently because of the nature of it, it, it could be dehumanizing because being with that many people, like you don't get to know anyone particularly well, so you, you start you know profiling and labeling people with superficial things like that. It was just something I was wondering about. I don't know if anybody else has this experience too, but something that I heavily dislike is that when I'm on social media, like Instagram. I think I follow a lot of hair pages because I'm always looking for tips and stuff, but I think sometimes they post a lot of uh, pictures of mixed children and it's the comments are so disgusting where people are saying like, Oh, these children are beautiful. Like, can you imagine how hot they're going to be when they're older? And I also think that it, it is problematic when people start bringing children to the equation and blatantly start sexualizing children. Yeah. I'm glad you spoke about that. Email because I have a friend from high school who's actually Russian Ukrainian and but she likes like black or Afro Latinx men. I have a baby cousin who's mixed race himself. I remember when my cousin was born, she was like, Oh my gosh, when he gets I wish I can like freeze myself in time so that I can be the same age as him when he grows up because he's going to be so attractive. And I was like, ha, ha, ha. And at the time I laughed and I told my mom and my mom's like, that's weird and creepy, (laughs) you know? Uh, And I don't think my friend meant it in a bad way, but it still is. I agree that it's gross. These are kids. Let them be kids. Uh, Similarly, and I know we have to wrap up the episode, but There's a comedian, B. Simone, who about a month ago made a comment on baby dating a Latina woman, baby the rapper, and mentioned how Latinas come out the womb sexy. And a lot of people, she received significant backlash, as she should, because you cannot say a two-year-old is sexy. Like, it's gross. It's pedophilic. Let's not go there. Let's not do it. So thank you for bringing that up. And on a similar term, can we have a rapid fire answer to this question? What is one thing that you would like to debunk about being mixed race? That like, I'm like the globe and you can spit me into two hemispheres and I'm white when it's convenient for you as like my friend or my partner or my classmate. And then I am Latino when it is convenient for you as my friend my partner or my classmate that doesn't make any sense the idea that like mixed race people are just able to relate to everyone yeah i'll say although i say that i'm half of two races i necessarily don't have to choose between two 
uh, I am whole of both. I think maybe the biggest misconception for me personally is that uh, people assume that like I embody or represent either of my races in a significant way. So when I say like heritage can, can sometimes fade out with each generation. Well, thank you all for coming on, for being vulnerable with us and speaking your truth. I really appreciate it. I know that listeners who are who come from multicultural backgrounds, biracial backgrounds, will also appreciate feeling seen and heard. And that those of us who are monoracial, if you can even say such a thing, can learn and grow and become better people. So I sincerely appreciate each and every one of you for coming here today. And I hope all of the wonderful listeners have learned something new. Peace and love. If you could please rate and leave a comment on this podcast, that would be great. It would help us be more easily identifiable on iTunes and so on and grow our listenership and tell your friends. Thank you. For more chill content, visit the Trillis underscore podcast on Instagram, T-H-E-T-R-I-L-L-E-S-T underscore podcast. And also visit Sia's Instagram at L-I-N-D-A-L-E-B-B-I-E. Thank you.